there are a number of tactics that are being implemented to keep us distracted and fighting amongst ourselves. We'll be discussing exactly what these are in today's episode, episode 104 of the Energy Balance podcast, a podcast where we explore health and nutrition from the bioenergetic view and teach you how to maximize your cellular energy to maximize your health. Today's episode is part three, the last part of our three-part series, Exploring the Harms of Western Culture. And in today's episode, we'll be discussing individualism and competition versus collaboration and communitarianism. We'll be discussing whether humans are inherently selfish and destructive, the cost of social media and other forms of distraction, how drugs and alcohol can also function as numbing agents, and why many causes that appear worthy turn out to be distractions from the real problems. To check out the show notes for today's episode, head over to jfaldenwellness.com slash podcast. And with that, let's get started. Do you want to talk about individualism versus, uh, you know, individualism and competition versus collaboration and community communitarianism? Yeah, so I think that this component ties in with these things because it puts people into a state where they function under this like hyper individualism where they have to do everything by themselves. They can't collaborate with others. They don't want to work with other people. Uh, everyone's competition. Everybody is this or that. And so there's a, and, and it's weird because there's a, there's a weird balance here where self-responsibility is it. And it's, it's when you actually break it down, it's really not that weird. There's not like this paradox to it, but the way things are described, I think in the current culture, the way these terms are under currently understood make them seem paradoxical. So there's an element where self-responsibility is extremely important. So kind of, I think the idea, I was talking with a friend recently of managing your own garden. So if everybody managed their own garden, then everything would be paradise, right? If things were taken care of appropriately. So that's one concept. It's not the only thing that drives this, this situation because like someone may have a better gardening tactic than you or may have better resources that you can trade for that they need some resource from you. So there's this element where you want to be self-responsible. You want to be taking care of your elements and focusing on what you need to get done. I don't think that that's selfish, focusing on what your fulfillment is. And in, in order to do that, you also can collaborate with other people. And this is something that the this tribalism starts to break down where people break into these different factions uh, divided along these lines uh, um, via the dialectic, via the false dichotomies. And then they're unable to collaborate appropriately and they're forced into this individual state. But the weird thing about it is that it's not a self-responsible individual state. It's you're on your own and you're looking for the backstop is not your community. It's not your family. It's not your friends. Your backstop is the state. Your backstop is the government. The government needs to pass this law to do X, Y, and Z. The, this government needs to do this to protect this particular group. And this is a, a dangerous area because you start to centralize power into, a, a particularly in the U.S., a organization that wasn't meant to control things to that extent. It was meant as a backstop, at least from, again, from my personal understanding of things, to prevent like a corporate or industry excess against the individual to some extent uh, and to manage and uh, help to create a process to manage negotiations amongst individuals and create some rule for society. It wasn't meant to be this system that takes care of the individuals 
when they like because they're not taking care of themselves and takes responsibility for the individual. The idea was that the individual will take responsibility for themselves. And there's also a system overlaying these individuals that allows things to run smoothly and appropriately and avoid uh, very harsh and negative excesses. Now, before I give the mic over to you, Jay, I wanted to just mention one piece that I think is very helpful to keep in mind. And it's extreme. It's something that I use over and over, kind of like a heuristic. Whenever I'm pushed into a situation where I'm only seeing two choices or three choices or whatever it is, I always, I always take a second to think to myself as a habit that there are solutions that are available that I just haven't thought about yet. And they will unfold over time if I'm open to them and I don't get stuck within that false dichotomy or a dialectic or even three or four solutions. Now, I think that something that's dangerous is that we get programmed through the education system to see things in multiple choice. There's only the answer can only be A, B, C or D. Whereas in reality, in real life, the answer is probably some type of combination or consideration of all of the different variables and trying to figure out not what is the perfect variable, but which variable gives you the most pros and the least cons for your particular context. So there's not one right answer. There is an answer that is right for that particular context, and you have to weigh the different components. And it may not even be the options that are initially presented for A, B, C, or D. It could be E or F that you just haven't been exposed to yet because you need a little bit more time with the situation and best not to kind of freak out. So I think that's something that's usable. For me, it's extremely helpful. And to also understand with these decision processes that when you are placed in a situation where your back is against the wall and you have to choose A or B, most times it's probably best to just take a step back and give it some time because you more information will come that will change the situation that you didn't have before. And for me, that's countless times I wanted to, another thing that, and this is a bit tangential that happens in society is everybody wants to model something. They want to have this mathematical model that could just predict all of these different things. You want to have this algorithm that can predict everything that's going to occur. And it's just, that's not, I don't think that that is possible because there's so many variable in, inputs that are interacting with things on so many different levels that you won't be able to account for every single exact input. And I think you see in most situations, these, especially these super complex models, they often fail because they cannot take into account all of these different inputs. And I'm thinking about that on an econo- from an economic perspective, but I, um, as an example, but I also think this plays a part into you know, our everyday lives. Like We can't model and predict all the different outcomes we can work with the options that we have at our, at, uh, at available. And as new information comes, that's conscious to us, adjust going forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a great point. And to come back to the kind of the issues with individualism or something that I think you were phrasing it this way as pathologic individualism. You were, so you were describing how the currently there is there's a couple of things going on. On one hand, you do have people who are not taking responsibility. And I think that you can, in many ways, blame the system for that, especially from those first couple of aspects, the physiological, the lack of physiological health, lack of safety as things that take away somebody's power and ability to be responsible and and fend for themselves. And so then there's an excess reliance on some other entity to support them. And so I think there's, that is more, that is a product of the system that, that we've been 
kind of disparaging or discussing at least the problems with. And uh, But on the flip side of that, there is this pathological individualism where, yes, where, where there's this general notion that you need to be able to do everything yourself and you can't trust the people around you. And anything that you are, anything that you're not doing fully or you're not effective at, you need to be because you can't rely on somebody else to to do that. And it's it's your responsibility to defend it for yourself as opposed to, A, having, in some ways, talking about responsibility, having a community responsibility, communitarian responsibility to help and support those around you that you can. And... With and, and also the recognition that that can go both ways and the people around you can help you and that together we have way more power than any of us could individually. The sum is way greater than each of the parts. And that's something that is not considered. And instead, we are told we have to do everything ourselves. You need to have full, you need to fully secure yourself and your life in every single way because you can't rely on the people around you. And that is, and that is very contrasting from even how it was in the States a hundred years ago, you know, there was the general community and organizational structure was much stronger. People would organize to talk, you know, based on different belief systems. Sometimes it was religious. Sometimes it was based on workmanship or, or a trade. People would share ideas. They would spend a lot of time in their community figuring out just, just having relationships with them, but also figuring out how to better their community, how, how to better the world. And it's certainly something that happens here a lot. So when, again, these are just some examples from things I've experienced recently, but if you live in a community, you are expected to, let's say you're building a house in a community here, uh, you're expected to hire local workers to help you do that. You're expected to uh, to participate once a month or multiple times a month sometimes in community projects to rebuild roads or to do things to help fix the fix different things organizationally. There's and there are very small communities that still have these sorts of structures where they organize and figure out what's best for each other. And the other thing that comes with that, you know, we have this idea that we need to fully secure ourselves and everything. But then I hear these incredible stories where, uh, you know, somebody gets a call from their neighbor down the road who says, hey, I just saw these couple of guys walking down the street. Do you know who they are? Are you expecting guests right now? Because if not, we can be there in a second. Like we, We'll help you out. We'll protect you. And I hear these stories of people where the whole town is there in 15 minutes because they think something's going on. And that is that is the benefit of having that sort of community structure. And so and it's not only that for protection, it's that when it comes to food, it's that when it comes to helping out a family who needs it, who lost work or who's who somebody got sick. I mean, that's there is such value and such power in that that is totally lost in our society. And so that's it's also there when you have a government that's overreaching. If the whole community gets together and says, we're not going to put up with this, if that compliance isn't there in a lot of these circumstances, then the power is lost. Because at the end of the day, the structure is built on the individuals, which create the different communities, the family structure, et cetera. So if those things are strong, if the family structure is strong, if the community is strong, if people have relationship and they have skin in the game, or they have an actual uh, investment on multiple different levels into some type of community, that community is much more uh, difficult to kind of brush aside. Because if you have a whole bunch of people in one area, like, we're just, not, this is just not for us. We, we're not on board with this. It completely eliminates the ability to control that group of people. It's only when you have 
when you give in and you have you have a, a group of people, a larger group of people in the majority in the community are like, I'm not on board with this, but I feel like I'm not supported with everything else. I, and if I don't make this decision, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have this problem and have that problem. And then people start falling like dominoes that things start to get pushed. But if you have a group of people that sit down and are talking and get together and say, we're not about this, this is not for us, then it, it's like there's nothing to go. There's nowhere to go from there, especially at a certain threshold amount of people mm-hmm. in a given uh, unit of area. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying is that not only is there power on this very small local level, but organization is incredibly powerful on a larger scale. If there is some law that's introduced that is oppressive to the people and the people are able to organize cohesively, they can rise against that. They can they can protest against that. And those are things that you see in these places. And it requires everybody contributing and it requires everybody sacrificing too. It's inconvenient. You know, here you'll, they'll block off the roads to the whole country or throughout the whole country. And some people who don't understand the culture get really upset by it because it's disruptive to their plans. You know, they had, they had plans to go travel to the beach or something. But but it is ever that is a part of of being in the community here. So now more than ever, we need to form communities that are oriented towards supporting one another in all areas. And our health is no exception. That's one of the main goals of the Energy Balance Solution, a program that's designed to help you maximize your metabolism and lose weight, improve your digestion, get amazing sleep, rebalance your hormones, boost your energy, and so much more with clear action steps and strategies, along with personalized guidance from me. This program includes customized health coaching, a video library, which includes videos on restoring gut health, losing weight without destroying your metabolism, boosting your metabolism, getting amazing restorative sleep, rebalancing your hormones, and tons more. It also includes resources like a sample meal plan and supplement guide, as well as a private community, as I discussed, so that we can continue to support each other throughout our health journeys. So head over to jfeldmanwellness.com solution to check out all the details. Again, that's jfeldmanwellness.com solution. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of power in that. And you see this the this aspect of the culture this this pathologic individualism that's being driven uh that is you know the orientation you see that throughout other aspects as well so you see that being encouraged by in biology like in science and one thing we talk about a lot here is neo-darwinism which is essentially i mean it's a, it's a couple things it's this idea that you know evolution is entirely random based entirely on genes there's no interaction with your environment things like that but as a result of that, it is a it is an evolution by competition. It's an every man by uh, for himself, a survival of the fittest sort of mentality. And along with that is a biological notion that animals or organisms are not supposed to help out the other ones around them because they're in inherent competition and they want their genes to survive. You know, this is Richard Dawkins' selfish gene concept that you want your genes to be the ones that make it to the next generation. That is how evolution proceeds. That's how, uh, that's how progress is made evolutionarily, biologically, genetically. So you are in inherent competition with the individuals around you and you don't want to help them because that is supporting their genes, not yours. And these sorts of concepts, you know, we see it in nutrition as well, but you see it in throughout science, throughout the way that history is told. And we, you know, coming back to some of this discussion we had earlier is the recognition of how much culture influences things that we thought it was total 
that we thought were totally immune to it and were, and were objective, things like science and biology, is incredible. And to recognize how much that then pollutes the society to have these innate beliefs about their, their lives, about who they are as, as organisms and as people and how they should interact with the world around them. I mean, this is, these things are encouraged in every aspect of the culture. Yeah, I mean, it's the frame with which people are looking at things, right? It's there's these lenses that you overlay and you process mm-hmm. your experiences through and processing. And this is, I mean, you even see it with like all the paleo stuff, right? Or the, the uh, low carb stuff is everything has to be evolutionarily consistent. We'd adapted mm-hmm. to this. Um, it, it's weird because it, it doesn't fully play into the, like, it, it's a weird dichotomy in that sphere or not even a dichotomy, just like a weird mirrored bag. That's uh, or those, that's quite a loaded statement because you have this idea that we like adapted to this environment, but then also it was random uh, just through like genetic mutation. So like it, it, overall, the, the whole point is just the, there's the frame of it, these thought processes, these mental frameworks that you get exposed to and that you take on, whether consciously or subconsciously color the way in which you see the world and your experiences and how you actually frame and hold your reference experiences. And so this pervasive idea of survival of the fittest, it's, it's basically an extension of might makes right. It's an extension of manifest destiny. It's expansion, an extension of divine right of kings. It's basically just saying, you know, I am at the top because I am, because I am so, I make, I, my genes are just so strong. And it's just an easy, exactly. It's superior. It's a, it's a superiority component. It's akin to saying I am at the top because God has ordained me to be so. It's, it's literally, it's the same conceptual Mm -hmm. idea when it's broken down to its core and it's just passed into a new, a new lingo, a new language. It's, it's packaged differently to fit this scientific narrative, but it's still the same ideas and it still doesn't fit within reality. But it is a justification, a rationalization for why this group of this person is X, Y, and Z or these groups of people are this way or that way. And if it goes hand in hand with the times in which it was per, uh, perpetuated and created. And now the thing is, is neo-Darwinism isn't a pseudoscientific term. It's not necessarily, it's not a science. Even the, the science of Darwinism is separate from the neo-Darwinistic aspects that have been pervading the, the societal consciousness, the, the culture at large. Um, but overall, the idea is that these frameworks with which you view things, the way in which you you view the information you're exposed to can drastically adjust how you actually Im- implement that Im- information. So what some oftentimes makes the largest difference for people in terms of improving their life or improving their health or adjusting how they interact with the world is not changing what they think per se, but changing how they think about things. Because when you change that frame, you can reprocess old information and you can get like those aha moments. They come from that the change in how you're thinking. So moving things from this perspective of the neo-Darwinistic element that survival of the fittest might makes right. I'm here because my genes have does, had this randomly and moving things into perspective of I can adjust my environment and manipulate my environment to alter my physiology and this alter my conscious abilities, my physiologic abilities, etc. creates a massive difference because it moves you into a place of 
I am what I am because I am this, this genetic idea. It's just random mutation to, wow, I actually have some agency here. I actually can do something with, to, with my manipulating my environment, manipulating my lifestyle to affect an outcome in myself. And then also the next piece that's interesting is future, the future generations, this epigenetic idea. And the epigenetic idea is essentially this bridging of the gap because the general genetic dogma that existed couldn't fully explain everything that was going on. So we had to create new terms and ideas to explain a process that was clearly not randomness and, and like this pure genetics from the, from the baseline. And, and that's, you're seeing that continue over on, but it's basically like a soft landing of, wow, this concept kind of failed. We synthesized the human genome. We know all the genes. So now we can solve all diseases. And it's like, oh, wait, now we have epigenetics. <laughs> and it's just, just a soft landing to basically say, yeah, there's, mul the, there's multiple factors coming in. And it's like, oh, now all these environmental components are really important. But it's still randomness in the genes. It's just the environment adjusts how they're expressed. And it's like the theory just becomes more convoluted and convoluted as you go. Instead of just recognizing that there is no separation but and your environment is constantly interacting and adjusting with your physiology in more than just the genome. Um, and there's many more elements that involve. But again, alter all at the end of the day that how you're thinking about these things can drastically change the way in which you implement them and then the outcomes that you provide for yourself. And the neo-Darwinistic aspect that's pervading the culture is leading to this weird breakdown in structure because people are justifying that they've done X, Y, and Z because of some inherent genetic superiority instead of understanding the, the context in which they developed and had these different opportunities to, to uh, flourish the way that they have. Yeah. And there was a lot of concepts you mentioned there. I want to kind of go back through a, a few of them that are, I mean, that are all really important to dive into because they, yeah, they're clear examples of, of these cultural ideas um, being morphed into scientific concepts or non-scientific concepts that are parading as or masquerading as scientific. And so to kind of go backwards, I mean, in talking about epigenetics, yes, that's been a modification of the general neo-Darwinistic idea, but it's still, at least for a while, relied on the idea that, yes, the expression of genes could change, but A, it was random. Yes, it was maybe influenced by the environment to some extent, but it was random. And it normally isn't passed down, and it isn't actually changing the gene, the DNA structure. You're still stuck with, you're you're still stuck with the genes. It's this is just a slightly different expression of them, which is still very different from the idea that the environment actually helps to shape and shift the genet the genes. And so, even with the slight addition of epigenetics, the general idea that certain the people on top, the people in the ruling class, on and on, are superior genetically and it's not because they happen to have a better environment over generations but rather they are just inherently better maybe it's divine maybe it's god-given uh, and, and then the people on the bottom rungs of society the lower class they are genetically inferior it is good right through through it like the evolutionary process it's good that they do worse and and die out because they're going that's how we get rid of the the bad genes in society and it has nothing to do with their, you know, generations of oppression and poor environments. They just happen to be in this worst spot. And so, you know, we kind of got to get rid of them and they're supposed to be there and they're supposed to stay there. And yeah, that's, we, and we see this in other cultures too, right? You can use the caste system in, in India as another example of how religion is super, or, or societal structure uh, uses religion uh, in this case, like religion is superimposed on top of it to encourage a certain societal structure. 
And you talked about kind of, or, or I guess you kind of alluded to neo-Darwinism also having some religious underpinnings or intent or, or uh, support. And it did, you know, when there was this shift from kind of the Darwinism, Lamarckianism, which were very similar and, and definitely intertwined. And Darwinism gave a lot of credit to Lamarck and talked about his ideas of, of inheritable characteristics, basically as a means of, of the environment affecting the, the genes. He was on favor of, in favor of that. But the shift toward neo-Darwinism was largely in favor or largely in, uh, encouraged by a more religious uh, faction. And so uh, maybe a, a class faction as well of, of people who like <laughs> like that concept and and want to encourage the kind of, you know pathologic individualism and this idea that competition is is the the best way for society to function and and on and on. So and just to come back to one other thing you said you talked about like the paleo uh, diet and perspective being nestled in this neo-darwinistic idea and it absolutely is right this idea that this is how we were throughout evolution. We experienced these harmful, stressful things at those times, and we're stuck with that. That is how we have developed to operate in our in our best capacity. And so, there is no situation where changing our environment to be better and less stressful can actually improve our function and, and physiology. But instead, we're stuck having to uh, stick. You know, we have to stick with what we had experienced during those times. And yeah, it's it's very much nestled into that same uh, that same framework. So. This is something that uh, is, yeah, it's all around. It's all around in that in that Western society in the United States culture. So, there's one other piece that I want to throw in here that I think is important that ties in with the destruction of the community and the individual um, is the idea of randomness and a lack of purpose in the universe, which is tied directly in this genetic theory and, and neo-Darwinism, because the idea is that mutations are occurring with genes, that they're just random. They just happen. And the, the random ones that happen tend to just, you know, stick around. Um, and the, the ones that are actually like, they wind up being useful. They just tend to stick around. And so evolution is this slow process of random mutation, and it eliminates an understanding of, of purposefulness of the universe. Uh, or purposefulness of existence, where things aren't happening randomly, things are happening in a concerted fashion or some directed fashion. Whether, you, however, you want to process that, is that a is that a guy in the sky with a beard in a nice white cloak who's moving things along? Is it the is it the understanding that the the laws by which things function are driving or are create purpose in and of themselves? Is there is the universe itself, all of existence, something that we are all a part of, no separation? Is that alive and well in and of itself? And it's it's creating and complexifying as it goes. It could be moved in multiple ways, but shifting your perspective from this idea that everything is is random, there's no purpose to anything, and and moving you into this narcissistic or not narcissistic, uh, nihilistic perspective. It it opens the door for you to start seeing everything is subjective because nothing has any meaning or purpose at its core. Whereas when you have a, a base belief in something, now I'm not a massive fan personally of like some of the the uh, harder religions, the like more common religions, but I am a fan in the belief that existence is purposeful and that things are complexifying and improving over time. And I think that just having that baseline framework. Just believing 
that there's a purpose to existence helps to protect you from having these Trojan horse ideas injected into your mind and these and these frameworks injected into your mind from that nihilistic perspective that are highly damaging to your to your to your functioning. And you see some of these frameworks start to come in with a breakdown of what is gender and what is uh, like all of these different elements starting to what is a family? What are these different components? Because when you when you don't have a purpose for things, then you can start to have, oh, well, all of these things are subjective. All of these things are just um, they're societal constructs. Everything is deconstructed and there's no like there's there's no formation and there's no like general guidelines to go by anymore. And that's highly, I think, destructive to the individual's development overall through Maslow's hierarchy because it's it just damages their ability to form an ego, to form an understanding of what's going on in society. I don't mean ego in like the sense that people usually do as like a negative thing, but their understanding and their ability to interact with their desires and then to interact with what's going on with society and with their personality, understand how things work in some type of broad, broad framework. If you destroy all of that, then you can't institute these frameworks that help you organize and order things so that you can live your life into some type of purposeful and fulfilling direction. You get stuck in this kind of quagmire of, of everything is nothing and then all of the ideas that extend out from that. So I think that that's also an underlying piece that's like a, a cancer to the mental framework. It's highly destructive to the mental framework and to the societal consciousness because it doesn't allow for any construction from that. There's no more building blocks anymore when everything is nothing and everything is subjective. You can't, if you're constantly standing on sand instead of having a strong foundation. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not adjustments to the traditional norms. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there has to be some normative elements in general that you can build your structure on. If you don't have rules to go by and everything is this subjective mess, then you can't build higher. You can't build your building on a foundation of sand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th those are some great points. Yeah. And I don't have too much to add. I, th I think those, you know, you, you brought up a lot there. But there is another aspect of this divide and conquer uh, mentality or the another way in which belonging, love, community is being disrupted. And that's through a general cultural push to devalue ourselves as humans. So this is not just the people around you, but also ourselves with this idea that humans are a cancer, you know, humans as useless eaters, humans as a medium for destruction of the planet humans as a as a this yeah just a parasites a, a parasite Plagues. on this on this yeah. planet yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and there so that is one aspect of it where that is a general narrative that's pushed throughout society and again not only leads to that same kind of nihilism and devaluing of yourself but also of the people around you so that's that's a huge part of it another part is is de, a degradation of value or a uh a, a dilution of us to the point where our only value is what we can produce, you know, as, as workers. And that's a kind of whole other area that continues to drive competition and, and whatnot, but it also drives us not to see value in other people for other aspects of life, you know, whether it's art or music or any other uh, non directly productive uh, sort of, of um, means, you know, and 
yeah, so the, so that's a big part of it as well. I'll kind of leave it at that. And and I think all of these things also go on to lead to a lack of friendliness and kind of, you know, again, just like you know, it goes hand in hand with the neo-Darwinism, just this competitive mindset and the people around you are not on your same team. And not only that, your people around you are worthless. They're sucking up resources. So not only are they not collaborating with you, they're useless. And because and then you produce better because you're just this genetic specimen compared to them. Your IQ is higher. You whatever the whatever the justification is, right? And it's extremely destructive to cohesiveness overall. I didn't mean that I didn't want to interject you too much, but it's I see where you're going with the point, and it's very no, no. I think it's like the whole that whole mindset is so destructive. Yeah, I agree. It, no, it's it's a great addition there. And it and you feel it. You know, you I, I think you feel it in that, or at least I have felt it in a lot of interactions in the United States. And it contrasts dramatically from interactions in other places where people are excited to see you, people are friendly, people are welcoming, they say hello, they want to talk with you, they want to know what's going on in your life, they want to know that you're okay. They ask they want to know that your family's doing well. They want to help you in any way that they can. Uh, they want to they want to give you food. They want to host you. They they just want to. There's just this general drive to. Or not, again, it's not even just coming out of a drive to want to help each other. That's part of it. But part of it also is a general feeling of love with you, between you and, and the other people around you. And this feeling that the people around you are inherently good, as opposed to this idea that the people around you are inherently useless and cancerous yeah. and bad. And that is something that I, that is, yeah, weighs heavily on me when I'm in the yeah, it's 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 like everybody around you is a threat, and or everybody around you is useless. And and the, what I want to point out mm -hmm. here is I think that humans can be absolutely destructive, or they can be some of the most innovative, intelligent, and constructive creatures available. Um, and it's the what adjusts that is not your genetics. What adjusts that is the frames, the mental frameworks with which you function with and the health and uh, energy that you have avail available to fulfill yourself and then to improve and innovate as you go along. So these ideas that humans are destroying the planet and that we need to put in these austerity measures and that we're, we're the destructive force, we're going to wipe out all the species. I think that's all, I think that's all, again, it's, it's focusing, it's, it's distraction. It's distraction for people because if you actually look at things and you actually see what humans are capable of, if you give people the correct environment, if you give people the right resources, they build, they create, they build society, they build structures, they create, they improve things. If you put them in squalor and you put them in poverty and you feed them poor things or you feed them crap food and then you you get a crappy output, it's it's very it's very basic. If you have a system and you apply enough energy to that system, the system can use that energy to be productive. But if this, if the energy that input is is bad or short or or uh, or not good for the system, then you start to corrupt the system. And so it, it's as you feed more energy, and it doesn't all have to be energy. With humans, there, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy, there's multiple components. But when you get those components right and you inject them as part of the culture, then you see these outputs change drastically. And you see the opportunity to, to improve and innovate and, and develop new technologies that solve problems becomes drastically improved. But when you start to degrade the population, then yeah, you get, you get a bunch of people 
who are just looking out for themselves, just trying to meet those lower level basic needs. They're not looking to meet those higher needs because the foundation isn't even organized. So if the foundation isn't there, if the food, the water, the shelter, the love and belonging, the community, the esteem, et cetera, isn't there, you're not going to get fulfillment. You're not going to get high levels of innovation. So, and, and this is, this is where you see something like the, the genetic framework is counter to this. The randomness framework is counter to this entire idea. And just functioning under the frame doesn't allow that frame specifically doesn't allow people to innovate and develop. And then that's where you start to get these ideas. Oh, people are a cancer. Oh, people are going to destroy the planet. It's like, no, people are going to get when they're given enough resources, they're going to make this planet amazing. They're going to innovate and they're, they're going to solve problems. They're going to solve an energy problem. They're going to solve a waste problem. They're going to create solutions to convert waste into usable material. They're going to create solutions to, to create energy that, that it doesn't have to be solar farms and, and wind things and whatever else. Maybe it's going to be some of that, but create other solutions so that they can increase the amount of energy that's produced. All these things that we're worrying about, cleaning up pollution, et cetera. And I think as you see, as society progresses, you see, and as the quality of life progresses and people's needs start to get met, you start to see these things drastically improve. And the, the, the U.S., not now, and in even parts of Europe and Western society, during times where they were flourishing, you got ridiculous amounts of innovation and, and technologies. That, 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 and the thing with technologies is it's not a linear adjustment. You get this technology, you get the internet, and boom, you get this exponential growth. You get a book and boom, you get exponential growth. You get money and boom, you get exponential growth. All of these things, you get oil, you find oil and you learn how to, to, to control combustion, boom, exponential growth. So when you, and it's in all these periods had come from societies where people had a higher standard of living and they had access to more resources to be able to focus on these problems and solve these problems. And then you exponentially increase the output of society altogether. And that's another piece that I think is really important to look at is that this is a societal thing. It's not one guy in his hobbit hut, wherever in the world he is, solving the problem by himself. He is supported by by the society that he's functioning in so that he has the time, energy, and resources to focus on these problems and not have to till the field and do whatever else. It's a collaborative effort. I think humans are strongest in a collaborative effort given enough resources. If the resources aren't there and you have a whole bunch of people, then you got a bunch of crabs in a barrel. <laughs> and that's it. And it's, I think it on a, that's a general rule. Obviously there's exceptions, but in general, that's, I think a different frame to view things through overall. Sure. Yeah. And, and that the innovation and construction and problem solving are very important aspects here, of course, when it comes to what we're getting at in terms of the fulfillment of Maslow's hierarchy and how that does lead to those properties, which then create better society. And and especially when they're oriented toward supporting the people around them, supporting the planet, maybe not oriented toward profit. So that's, that is important. Another important thing that I, that I'd like to highlight is not only do, is that a product of meeting these needs, but another product is that you see that people are caring and compassionate and loving. They aren't hateful. They aren't inherently useless. They aren't mediums for destruction. They aren't just trying to destroy. And of course, part of that is problem solving, but part of it is also an inherent care about the people around them and the world that they're living in. And you do certainly see that in these these 
places that are recognizing the value of community and everything, they also do not want to, they, they recognize the value of nature. They recognize the value of, of growing good food and things like that as well. And you have, I think another really amazing product of that is creativity. And that creativity can be used for things like problem solving. It can also be used for, uh, you know, art in whatever sense and, and um, other things that I think are valuable not only because they are productive, but just because they have inherent value. Uh, so I, I think that there's, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to highlight those other, those other pieces as well that really contrast with the idea that humans are just a cancer and useless on, on the planet. Yeah, and then, and then in an extension of this, I think something that's a problem now in current Western society, whereas before this wasn't the focus, like the societal consciousness was quite different in uh, decades past. I mean, we haven't lived the whole time, but just look at, you know, I wasn't around in the 1950s, 40s, 30s, etc., all those, these different time periods. But I think in decades past, the, the culture and the consciousness, at least from what you read and see, was quite different than today. I think part, a large part of an issue that's going on with the West now is that there's a degradation of the culture. And so you're creating situations where people are, it's entertainment culture. It's this, uh, it's a distractionary culture. It's removing people from creating communities and then having them that's where you, you, you basically bringing society down to these like like base level things. So porn, social media, uh, like uh, Postmates, consumerism. So just getting every buying all your stuff on Amazon all the time. Um, all of these different elements, they're basically distracting mm -hmm. people. They're taking them away from fulfilling themselves and they're bringing them down to these like base level desires and tapping into that as much as possible instead of trying to improve society overall. And that's, I think, de degradatory to the culture. Now, this doesn't mean that these innovations and, in, well, some of them, but it doesn't mean that things like being able to get this shipping of this product that you want in two days is a bad thing. I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. I don't think the connectivity via the internet is a bad thing. I don't think that currencies are a bad thing. It's just some of the systems, and this, I think, goes into the the purpose that we talked about and when and the, the idea that we like talked about here just for reference for anybody was like the enlightened self-interest idea is that there's not an interest in creating a benefit for society to some of these things overall. There is a benefit to society, but that's not primary. The primary piece here is a profit model or some type of control or some type of power or some type of increased harvesting of data or information. That takes precedence. And then secondary to that is like, oh, maybe there's some benefit to getting your stuff in, in two days, right? So, and, and the problem with that is because you get these really great technologies and then instead of use that, like they could be absolute boons for society. They can solve tons of problems that we have going on. And then the system that's in place takes those things, co-ops them and makes them completely negative. So like as a, an example that's coming is... The idea of, of a cryptocurrency, of a currency that has a fixed number of units that you cannot just make more randomly and is tied to not a centralized authority that you trust, but is spread across this, uh, this it's decentralized, it's spread across this population of, of people using the, the actual resource. That's what builds the trust in the system. That is great. That was a great invention. It could have been monumental. 
But instead, it's like, no, we're going to make a CBDC using the ledger system that the that the cryptocurrencies are built off of. A CBDC is a central bank digital currency. And we're going to use that to implement another layer of control. So it's like you had this great opportunity, this great currency that can improve tons of things in the world. And then the system takes it, this the sick culture takes it and then turns it into this massive ability to control the population without their best interests in mind, right? It's like, oh, you need to stay away from all the all the um the the criminals online that are using the cryptocurrency. It's like, no, you're you're gonna take the infrastructure and you're gonna create a tool that you can control how consumers, you can control data on how consumers are spending things, and you can push consumers or, or you can push the individuals in different directions to purchase things however you want it and control the currency etc. And basically create this perfect tax system that really strongly central it maintains the centralized control of the government, which is a problem in and of itself at this point and it continues to grow. And so that's where it's like, there's multiple times. And another thing is AI, which is another story, right? Another technology that could be awesome for sifting, creating an algorithm and creating an AI that can sift through tons of research. Uh, research and data and give you patterns and ideas. And instead, what you get is, no, we have the uh, woke AI system now where you have, you're have you given a set of spewed answers from this algorithm instead of like being, you're given a narrative instead of given the truth. And that's where it's like the, the this gets gets bastardized or gets, or gets corrupted by this, these frames which this system is functioning under. Mm -hmm. And then as a, as an, addition to that, you're told to believe that the freedom, whether it's freedom through a cryptocurrency or some other means like the internet, those things are actually dangerous to you. And it's the criminals using them and, and on and on. And so we, you know, you actually want us to control it for you. So you're welcome. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you're told. So yeah, those are great examples. And, and so something you had been getting to was the various different numbing agents and and, you know, talking about entertainment, culture and things like that. And so that brings us to the next section here, which will be really the last kind of large heading, which is the la you know, the top two rungs of Maslow's hierarchy discussing esteem and self-actualization, which is which involves problem solving. It involves creativity. It involves morality and ethics. Uh, it involves also how you feel about yourself. And uh, like that's where the, the esteem side of things comes in. And there are yeah, various aspects, again, of, of the Western society culture, specifically the U.S., that seem to uh, prevent us from actualizing in those ways. And so you mentioned a couple, which are things like the numbing agents and distractions. And obviously, this, these all blend together. So the idea that the problem is the people around you. Uh, who have a slightly different belief or are just, uh, you know, have been fed some different belief or something like that, as opposed to recognizing the real problems. I mean, those are all things that prevent genuine creativity or genuine problem solving or genuine actualization. And so there's yeah, a handful of things to dig into, too. Do you want to start off with some of those things like the entertainment culture that are, uh, are we're, we're being like inundated with? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, every, I think everybody knows a lot of these. So like Netflix, video games, porn, social media, the consumerism aspects, all of these types of things are, um, I think, degrading the society to a large extent. And they don't have to, 
they could be used in other ways that would be quite beneficial. And they still are to some extent, but they are being heavily moved into this, um, this like, this like cheap entertainment culture, this cheap distractions all the time. Like you don't interact with people because you're watching TikToks. You're watching people and, and you talk to anybody, you open up TikTok and it's just like the videos are primed to steal your attention for 10 seconds and you flip and then you flip and then you flip and then you flip. And it's same thing with Instagram, you have your reels or same thing with your Facebook feeds, right? So it's, could there be benefit to this like mass interaction of information and exchange of ideas? Yes. Are we using it in that way? No, <laughs> at least not on a large scale. So there are things where, again, in general, I would say there's like a lot of it is geared towards distraction. But at the flip side, like if you want to learn how to do anything, you can open up any type of uh, like cache of videos, YouTube, Rumble, whatever the, the deal is, whatever you're going to use, there's a ton of them. And you could you could find information, you can find blogs, you can open up research and you really have the access at your fingertips to you to learn anything. The problem is, is that I think most people get sucked into uh, the distractionary things that the, the moves them away from finding this. Oh, wow. I have all this information. What can I do with this? Can I build something? Can I find some fulfillment for myself? Can I develop a skill set and then use that skill set and to create things that I'm interested in? And again, I know you're, you were, um, prefacing this before that that's not the only thing that creates benefit or, or value in the individual. It's just, I guess for my frame, the things that have fulfilled me the most is things where I've actually created something like I've brought a dream to life or I've, I've figured out some problem or solved some types of things. Those are the things that have really invigorated me. Um, so I tend to associate with that more heavily, at least personally. And I think that a lot of the distractionary things, like for me, I remember when I was in, in college, like I wrote a list of the things that I have to stay away from because they just suck my time and they distract me from where I want to go. So Netflix series, uh, like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter if for businesses, you know, they're great, but as like on a personal level, it's just like, it's, it takes so much time to scroll through that stuff. Things like porn destroy your, uh, again, take your time away and destroy your interaction with women. For a lot of men, it can be like quite damaging. So minimizing those types of things, cheap and easy fast food destroys your health, tastes good. And then like getting heavily invested in this, the consumerism culture, because right now you could go and buy anything. Right now you can go and finance anything you want. You can finance a t-shirt at this point. And so you have access to everything you want and you just put it on credit, but it removes you from a perspective of what are the things that I actually need or what are the things that are going to, that I can use to move me in this direction towards my fulfillment or whatever it is. And I doubt it's going to be, you had to upgrade your iPhone 13 to the iPhone 14 because of this new special camera effect for most people, unless you're like some type of photographer or whatever the deal is, whatever the specific area is. So those things I think are hugely um, like distracting elements from people developing themselves, uh, building their self-esteem, reaching some type of fulfillment because they just spend their times between navigating between all these pieces of distraction at least in the west at least in the west yeah right right no no exactly and and just to share a couple more examples i mean you so now you have it from a really young age right like toddlers that are 
inconvenient for the parents for them to be running around or you know they're they're disruptive during dinner or whatever and so they're on their ipads all the time and or like scrolling or like on youtube and to see a two-year-old who then clicks on the next video to watch and they're just i mean they're zoned out like the to to imagine what that's doing to their to their mind and their ability to think or to be creative to think critically especially uh not to mention to have a uh to to be able to dedicate time and effort to something to have a r- realistic attention span or a healthy attention span i mean it's only getting worse and worse and then yes yeah, so so that's starting super young but then you have you know you have tiktok you have social media for all the kids you have virtual reality where i have people clients who tell me about their their kids who hang out in virtual reality they don't hang out in person they aren't outside doing anything they aren't coming up with some way to interact so not so not only are I guess it's one level at a time. So now they're not even seeing each other in person. There's not that human connection, which goes in along with those things we were talking about earlier. But then on top of that, you know, you had video games, which took away the making up some game in the in the neighborhood, you know, getting into some sort of trouble, <laughs> doing some some sort of, uh, some you know, like disruptive thing that's a little bit inconvenient because you're playing hockey in the road or whatever. But, you know, that that's all taken away from a young age now as well. Everything is given to us, uh, and and then we're and and we just live in distraction. You know, it's from the time people get up to the time they go to sleep. Oftentimes, they're never without their phone. You know, they're not going a minute without their phone or some sort of screen. Netflix is on in the background or in the foreground. You know, you you finish work and you you just go watch you know watch Netflix for the next few hours until you go to sleep. I mean, there's no shortage of those sorts of distractions, and it's really, I think it goes a long way to preventing not only the earlier things we talked about, like the physiological needs and the loving and belonging, but also preventing the self-actualizing qualities, the the problem solving, the creativity, the spontaneity, the drive, ambition, you know, those kinds of things as well. So that's huge. And then there's other numbing agents as well. So those are all different forms of numbing agents. Then you also have various aspects of current drug culture, you know, vaping and alcohol and and weed and whatnot, which, again, like technology, there is a place for different drugs and and they don't have to be numbing agents per se. And they might help somebody actually reconnect with the people around them and reconnect with nature and things like that. But the way that they're used in the vast majority of cases is not that. And instead, it's a way to numb ourselves and prevent ambition and and drive and connection with others so that's another huge one uh, i don't know if you have anything you want to add in there but another thing i was going to discuss was just this the kind of faux problem solving where the problems that we're given to solve are not the real problems and the way that we solve them are not actually solving anything so that was the next piece i was gonna discuss yeah i just on the substance front i just wanted to add a short piece but i think everybody uses substances to cope to cope with stress, to cope with situations. The question really just comes down to what substances are you using? How are those substances benefiting you? And what are the risks? And I think a lot of the substances that are actually promoted, the one, some of the ones that you specifically mentioned, alcohol, marijuana, uh, some of the harder drugs that are actually being promoted more heavily in the US now, like some places are literally just largely decriminalized. Those drugs are highly problematic because they, they 
have disassociating, numbing, uh, pain-relieving euphoric effects with huge negative uh, downsides. And they don't solve the problems. They basically just allow you to completely remove yourself from actually focusing on and, and as focusing on problem solving and trying to correct the issue. Whereas there's other substances that can help you blunt the stress response or manage the stress response or deal with any type of stress so that you can, you can muster up a response and, and problem solve through and create a solution. So that's, I just wanted to put that tangent in there because a lot of people, oh, well, you, you know, like there's like this anti-substance component and it's not that substances are bad. Even food in and of itself, having a glass of juice when you're under stress is a form of self-medication. It's just, um, it's just not, you know, it's not an SSRI or a Xanax. It's souk, it's carbohydrate. Um, so and there's these strategies I think are important to use. And it's important to recognize that it's not that you are using a substance per se that's the problem. It's what are you specifically using and how are you using it? And I think the promotion of these things is very, actually very dangerous. Um, people have asked me before, what are my thoughts on marijuana or some of these other some of these other drugs or alcohol and whatnot. And I think in over the long overall, I think they're net negative on the system. Um, and I think there's there's way better things that you can use to solve these issues. Even people using like a lot of different psychedelic things. I've seen quite a few issues occur from using those things or even harder drugs in the hospital. I've seen quite a few issues from those. So I think most of those are pretty poor choices. And again, We've talked at like at length about different substances that could be helpful for different circumstances. Um, but I I would go reach for something and like really heavily invest and look and see what are you taking? Why are you taking it? What are the pros? What are the cons? How is it supposed to be used effectively? And then test it out with your individual physiology. I, I, just a tangent there. Yeah. And I would push back a little bit. I mean, you know, I think I have some disagreements there as far as the use of some of those substances. You know, I think marijuana, psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine. I think that those kinds of things have their places sometimes in a medical context, whether we're talking PTSD or suicidal depression. There, I, I mean, I think I would prefer the use of some of those in the way that they're currently being researched over other prominent drugs that are, that are normally prescribed. And I also think that there can be value in, in using those substances in a careful or controlled way that can help somebody reorient themselves to the world and maybe separate themselves from the culture a little bit. I think that they can be really helpful from that. I mean, I don't think that everybody needs to be doing ayahuasca five times a year. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it is always safe for someone to do. And there's all of the disclaimers and there's a, these are substances to be careful around, but I do think that they can have, these could be things that are largely suppressed as a piece of the culture and using them in a safe way could help separate people from that culture and self-actualize and recognize the value of community and nature and, and you know, kind of re removing the veil, so to speak. So I think that there's a place for those things. I'm not saying everybody go ahead and do those things. Obviously, all of the disclaimers here, but I think there's a place for them. That's, that would be my stance. And I'm okay with us, you know, if there's some disagreement there or whatnot, that's... You know, I just think that there's that. other things that can be done to solve most of the problems without having to get to that. I think, uh, and I have seen people have some quite negative responses, but again, it's not necessarily in a controlled sense. Um, and yeah, overall, I just think like there's way better options available than those things uh, for quite a few situations. And I, in most situations where I've seen people play around with these different substances, 
uh, even in like a controlled professional situation, they haven't gotten other thing, even their foundation right first. Uh, most times like, oh, well, we tried this SSRI, we tried this drug, we tried that. So like, let's try this new experimental uh, therapy because it's, you know, it's in vogue in the research says X, Y, and Z, like that type of thing. So I, yeah, I would prefer, like we how will have our, I guess, our, our minor disagreement there, but I would prefer to go other ways first, hands down. That would be my preference. And, and then maybe work towards those as last resorts or towards the end of the line options after you've exhausted other things that are possibly a little safer and like lower hanging fruit first. Yeah, it's, well, maybe we'll have a longer discussion on it at some point. I don't know exactly where I think I would fit it in. I definitely, you know, when it comes to somebody who is, let's say, struggling on the mental health side, which I don't think is the only use case for these things. There's someone struggling on the mental health side. I mean, absolutely, I agree. Let's, let's get those foundations in place. Let's try a lot of other things uh, first, assuming that someone could do so. But I don't think it has to be an either or. And I don't think, I'm not saying like only use these things in a medical setting sort of thing. Uh, you know, disclaimer, only use it in a medical <laughs> setting, all of that. But I'm not saying that necessarily. I, I think that perhaps, uh, I think that there could be benefit to recreational use of these things that's done carefully, but not for everybody. And there's always going to be a percentage of people who do not respond well or who are using them for the wrong reasons. But I don't think that is a substance problem necessarily in the same way. I don't think it's an internet problem or something like that. So yeah, we'll, we'll maybe we'll, we'll continue that discussion another time and, and dig into it in more detail. But that aside, so talking, coming back to another aspect here uh, that interferes with the self-actualization is uh, that I want to get to is this idea of changing the narrative of what the problems are and then changing the narrative of what the solutions are to make it so that even the people who are, to whatever extent they are, you know, kind of escaping some of the distraction and numbing, that they go and try to do something that's actually helping the world. I think the vast majority of time, unfortunately, that's not the case because of how different things are set up, whether it's how the organization is set up, where in reality, instead of it helping the people it's supposed to help, it is mostly helping the people who run the organization by filling their pockets. Uh, you know, that's kind of some of the worst case scenarios that unfortunately is, is I think, a large reality. Uh, so, so that's part of it. I think also we have the situation, you know, we were talking a bit about, uh, about climate change and environmentalism and those kinds of things. And we discussed in our carbon dioxide series why the focus on carbon dioxide is really misplaced and it's being used as a scapegoat to allow for people to think that they're doing good things by offsetting their carbon footprint or, you know, paying a little bit extra for the company to offset the, their carbon footprint while at the same time, the company is then polluting the air and water and, and soil and land to a point that is incredibly destructive and is actually destroying the environment and is going way worse. Like if you're, if someone is concerned about global warming, I would be way more concerned about things like deforestation and, and desertif desertification and, and other Plastics. aspects like that as opposed to offsetting. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to offsetting carbon footprint. Yeah. Looking at the destruction of wildlife in, in the oceans and as you were saying like plastics and pollutants and things like that and and so this is a the the culture co-ops these agendas in order to or or these these desires to actually do good get co-opted in order to further the general cultural agenda and so that's an example of one 
Another one that, again, touchy subjects, of course, of course, are things like feminism, where, again, there are aspects of it that were great, but a byproduct of or a way that it was co-opted, right? I mean, to talking about women having equal rights is one thing, but then it gets co-opted to women should be in the workforce. And now we can create a society where you actually need two people to be working full-time in the household to support your family instead of one, because now the women are working. And that it, and we can create acceptance in the culture by supporting feminism in that way, that, that women should be hard-charging you know, businesswomen. And again, not saying that women shouldn't do that. Women should do whatever they want to do. That's, but that is different from a drive in the culture to do that as a means of, of uh, financially suppressing or, or, or destroying financial security of the household. And so these are just, again, examples of ways that these movements can and have been co-opted. Another would be, again, the idea that your favorite company is supporting your cause by labeling their product with, you know, uh, the right color of the month or, you know, saying that the, that they're against the basic things that everyone is against, like racism and whatnot. And then, and they aren't, they are normally not actually contributing any, contributing anything to solve whatever problem they're espousing. But then the whole goal of them doing that is, is to, is for money, is for profit. And they're, it is just a guise that uh, that is supposed to make you buy more of their product and has nothing to do with actually supporting whatever cause it is that they are claiming to support. And that is that is inherent to the structure of the society. So the all these things to kind of say that the, these are all things that interfere with self-actualization and that they prevent us from seeing what the real problems are and make us think that we are helping to prevent or solve the real problems and we're donating to a good cause and things like that without the recognition that in, in reality, normally they aren't helping at all. And in many ways, they can just be contributing or causing the exact problems that we're trying to resolve. So there's, yeah, that, that is just another aspect here. And, and uh, maybe I'll just leave it there and let you jump in. Yeah, the only piece I was going to add, I, I don't have one, I more really want to get into specifics because they are touchy areas. But the only piece I'd add is that I think a lot of times the causes that people are pushed to focus on aren't actually the problems. Like, that's that's the biggest piece is like the solutions and the problems are separate from these things that get promoted. What gets promoted, I think a lot of times is distraction to cover up or to to move people's view from what is actually going on behind the scenes. And so that's it's it's not that i think that people are bad i think most people are, are as you imply jay and as you mentioned are well-meaning and they want to do the right thing it's just they don't know where to place their energy and it's these these causes come out and they're like the ice bucket thing right like we're going to raise all this money for this i think it was for some type of cancer research and als I think. yeah oh there there you go the als ice bucket challenge yeah so you raise all this money for this stuff um and it's not that that's a bad thing to do. It's not that it's a bad thing to raise the money, but it became this, it became like a cultural trend. And then like to get all this money poured into the situation and like the framework with which the ALS research is done. And I don't, I haven't gone into the specifics, but the framework to which a lot of these the breast cancer research, all of these types of things that are done is not a framework necessary, necessarily to like directly work for a cure per se. It's 
looking more for like pharmaceutical based treatments. Um, and again, the perspective here being that it can be a bit of a distraction from what like the under uh, what the underlying problem is, and it's because the frame with which these things are are being done are not necessarily ideal. And so that's where that's where I think the, a lot of this comes in, and it, it it gets people involved in narratives and ideas that are seemingly helpful, but sometimes in some cases they're not necessarily that helpful. In other cases, they're actually wholly detrimental overall. And people, they're well-meaning. They just they just don't know that what they're involved in is not good from its core. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And and those are some important points. And it comes back to a concept that we were discussing earlier, where the power structures do not have the same incentives that the people do. And instead, they're normally in direct opposition of each other. And so that is, you know, it's the icing on the cake here to make the people think that they are are helping the world. And in reality, they end up supporting the power structure. And yeah, it, it's a... There's a lot of complexity there, but uh, yeah, there's just too many specifics and each one will be its own like whole episode to dig through. But it's just a general idea that the power structures at or the a lot of the things at hand are can be distractions and not actually supporting what you want them to support. A couple of things that well, so one thing I want to come back to, uh, you know, we were talking about kids on their iPads and those kinds of things. And I that is one of my favorite things about some of these places I've visited and here in Ecuador where I'm currently living is the lack of those things. The amount of people, the, sorry, the amount of children who are playing in the streets all the time and who are integrated into society and actually doing things. The kids go to work with their parents and help them in the store. And sometimes you're being rung up by a seven-year-old girl, you know, uh, and, and, that's just a normal part of the of the culture here. And they are not spending their days inside. They're not spending their days watching Netflix or, or playing video games. And by no means am I trying to pretend that, or make it out to be perfect. Like the you do see teenagers who are, who are watching TikTok on their cell phones and things like that. But it is nowhere near to the extent that it is in the States. And that's something that's certainly uh, important to me. And and seeing yeah, seeing the seeing kids. Just seeing how many kids there are is is one thing. And then seeing them just running around and being in the world all the time and playing with each other and and also interacting with the adults. That's kind of a, a separate topic, but just how kids are treated in the States as uh <laughs> just as as they're not given any responsibility, they're not considered to be actual, you know, like real people and and instead they're treated as uh, as just being much less than. And so yeah, that's something that that doesn't exist here that I appreciate a lot. So, yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't have any specific examples like that, but it's nice that the culture is set up to be somewhat um, protective against some of these new influences that we have coming on board. Yeah, I don't think I have too much else to add as far as the general concerns that we have with with Western culture, society, and again specifically United States culture, since that's. What we're most familiar with. Uh, do you have anything, Mike? Is there anything else you want to share? No, I think we covered quite a bit of topics. I know we didn't go massively in depth, but I think it was, was a good episode to just, or I guess multiple episodes to like cover a couple pieces that are important to talk about and to like start to bring into the conversation the cultural component 
and the mental frameworks on top of the the food and diet and lifestyle components because all they do often go hand to hand. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and I think we've talked about that. You know, one of the themes of these episodes has been how much culture influences not only just day to day life and what people value and value systems and all of that, but it also influences what we call science. It influences what we call medicine. It influences uh, what we call nutrition, and and so it is directly intertwined with everything that we talk about and where, you know, when we talk about different views of health and physiology, whether it's different views of the immune system or, you know, genetics or uh, even within nutritional paradigms, I mean, all of it is through a lens that is considering the culture. And that's something that I think as we both described is newer to us. It wasn't something that was initially, you know, you're not taught in school that that interaction. And because of that, I know for me, I was not interested in I had no interest in politics. I had no interest in history. I had no interest in, in, uh, in culture per se. But that shifted as I was brought to light again, long, largely by Dr. Ray Pete, and has brought about interest in those things, interest in history and how it, and, and its intertwinings with culture and how that shapes society and shapes views, as opposed to the idea that the views that we hold now are objectively right or something like that recognizing that there is this massive filter that we all have. And, and it's also heavily influenced us to, to the point where we've both left the States. And I think a lot of other people feel similarly. Obviously, being able to leave the States is a luxury that we've both been afforded and not everybody has that. And sometimes it's a matter of working with what you've got and doing the best you can. And there's a lot of good that you can do for sure. I mean, you can resist and escape a lot of these things, even while living in the States, if you're aware of them. But I think you also see a considerable exodus of people from the states who are recognizing these things and have, you know, equivalent concerns. And uh, it's obviously something that's very relatively common, I think much more common within the bioenergetic space because, you know, because of that, because of repeat influence. Yeah. And I think you see people moving to even moving from one state to another state, uh, because of mm -hmm. the the cultural landscape and shift that's going on within those particular states, so yeah, I and on just as a the last point here, I think that the West and the U.S. I think they had there's a lot of great things, and I think that a lot of the cultural degradation is been happening like relatively recently, and it's not something that was you know, like I don't think it was to the same extent that it is now. I feel like things have ramped up a bit. And that a lot of some of the things that have gone on and that have been started to get pushed more heavily within the country have pushed people and or we need even within certain states, push people to move to different states first and also start to continue consider where else in the world can I get some type of quality of life and sanity and not have to put up with some of the like some of the ridiculous things that are going on within the US. So again, I think think the US currently at least in some states is still probably one of like has some of the highest quality of life and some of the one of the best places to live and i think that in the past it definitely had some of the best quality of life and best places uh be almost one of the best places to live it's just kind of upsetting seeing the some of these like components go in there and kind of like further degrade the culture in a way that i think in coming into the next couple decades is going to be quite negative for the country overall um so yeah that, that would be the my last piece there. Yeah. And I would say also, I mean, I think maybe a lot of the, the 
the perceptions of the U.S. versus the rest of the world is resting on more historical realities. But I, I think that there's certain aspects of collapse that are maybe beginning, as you're kind of alluding to. And and there's an assumption that, you know, quality of life is is better there than most of the world. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of really great things about the states. But at the same time, I mean, there are things that you can look at as far as just, you know, happiness ratings, as far as the uh, medical system and how effective or really ineffective it is. I mean, among Western modern uh, countries, like the U.S. does not rank highly. You know, people like a, I'll, I'll say, you know, I can speak for Ecuador. I mean, when people talk about the medical system, I'm in the States, they have a lot of concerns when I, if I say I'm living in Ecuador, I mean, these are friends or family or something, you know, what if something happens? And most people here who have had major surgeries, whether it's, you know, strokes or heart attacks or back surgeries or whatever it is, say that they prefer the medical system here than, than in the States. They have direct lines with their doctors. Their doctors are educated around the world and they come back here. Uh, there's really great hospital systems that beyond all of those things are also actually affordable. Uh, not to mention, so, so you have health insurance that's affordable and covers things, but also even paying out of pocket is affordable. Uh, I mean, it's, there are, there are, Sir, I'm not so quick to say that the States is still one of the top, you know, um, but either way, I think there are still good things about it. I'll definitely say that. And uh, yeah, and obviously the other thing is this is my opinion and I encourage everyone else to develop their own opinion and think about these things critically and come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I agree with Seriously, that 100%. Genuinely, I, <laughs> oh, that is it just literally this was an entirely personal opinion piece. I mean. Yeah, this is entirely personal yep. opinion. This whole episode. So yeah, yeah, awesome. and I'm sure some people have very different perceptions, and that's great. So yeah, all right. I hope you enjoyed that series exploring the harms of Western culture. Let us know what you think in the comments, and if you'd like us to dive deeper into these topics in future episodes. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a like or comment if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening elsewhere, please leave a review or five star rating on iTunes. All of those things really do a lot to help support the podcast and are very much appreciated. To check out these show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash podcast, where you can take a look at the studies and articles and anything else that we referenced throughout today's episode. And if you're looking to easily determine exactly what to eat to support your metabolism and help you lose weight, improve your digestion, get amazing sleep, boost your energy, and so much more, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash guide to download the free Energy Balance Food Guide. The Energy Balance Food Guide is a one-page infographic that organizes pretty much any food you can think of on a spectrum based on how effectively it supports your metabolism. And it also has a separate spectrum that adjusts this scale for you in the case that you're dealing with various digestive or gut issues or symptoms. The Food Guide makes it extremely easy to get started with a bioenergetic approach to optimizing your health. So again, to download your free guide, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash guide. With that, I'll see you in the next episode.